can you? Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. All right, let's continue the conversation then. Of course, we have been watching uh, the conflict that has been taking place in Ukraine. Many people having to flee that country following the uh, invasion uh, following the invasion by Russia. Now, the UN estimates that there are over 2 million people that have had to flee Ukraine. Among those have been uh, South Africans, a uh, significant population of students that are from South Africa, Africa also being caught up in this conflict. Some of them, thankfully, have been able to make it back home. It has not been without challenges. So we're going to be speaking uh, to them about their experiences, about their journeys uh, over the next half hour or so. Let me welcome onto the show Ngateko Muimani, who is a South African student who has also just come back home. Ngateko, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm well, thanks. Let me also invite Mandisa Stabile Malindisa. We spoke to Mandisa, of course, last week, Wednesday it was. Uh, when we spoke to her, she was uh, still waiting for a flight to bring her back home. She's now back home. Mandisa, good morning to you. Hello, Mandisa. All right, it seems like we're having an issue with Mandisa's line. While the team works on that, Ngateko, let me come to you and, and firstly just say that I can't imagine what the last couple of weeks have been like um, for you. And I'm really just interested in, in hearing your story and in hearing the experience that you, you had in Ukraine. Um. Sorry, could you please repeat the question? So, so I was saying to you that um, I'm interested in hearing about your story and in hearing about the experience that you had in uh, Ukraine when the conflict struck. Uh, okay, yeah. So it was a Thursday morning. Mm. The life prior to that was quite normal. I remember going to McDonald's on the Wednesday afternoon and then having some lunch with my friends. And then, you know, of course you're hearing news about it on the news, you know, but life was pretty normal. So in 2014, um, I think Russia had annexed the Crimea. So the talks about the war potentially brewing were there. It's like people didn't really take it um, into consideration. So the same thing with 20, well, this year, with like the media reports and everything. And we thought that could be the same um, scenario. So as I said, it was a Thursday morning. Um, I was on the spectator index. I was just chilling at home um, in my apartment. And then I heard that the airspace of Ukraine has been closed. Mm-hmm. due to um, fear that the Russian um, aircraft would be landing on the runway. So they um, took tanks and um, some trucks and they blocked the runway. And then they told us that it, the airport would be temporarily closed until the morning. So my friend Mandita um, had already booked a ticket because, you know, I think intelligence from other countries like the U.S., Germany, Italy, you know, the U.K., Morocco, a few other African countries had released an official statement telling the world that, guys, if you're either planning to travel to the Eastern Bloc or Ukraine, or um, you're already in um, Ukraine or Eastern Europe, try to evacuate or make means of gathering funds, etc. So we didn't receive any of that information, so we, we remained relaxed, but at least Mandisa had received funds, um, I don't know, personally or what, to go home. So I think maybe an hour or two after that, um, we just had these loud... Uh, noises as if it's lightning, you know, very vivid and um, and real. And then, um, we, like, the ground started shaking, you know. I live on the fourth floor, so I felt a bit of the um, the, the shake. Mm. And then I remember um, I was in my underwear, 
Now I'm like rushing to get my passport, my Pusvitka, um, which is our temporary um, visa. And then I knock onto my neighbor's door and they were sleeping. So can you imagine the trauma of having to wake up to those loud noises and someone to say, okay, pack the passport, you know, at least your toothbrush, one pair of clothes, you know, put it at the door. So in that panic, um, we tried to encourage each other. We remained calm. We took our things. We put them by the door and we just waited. And then, so my area is called Taramoha. It's quite close to the Russian border. So like we could hear like the tanks moving in, but mm. nothing was happening to our buildings or to any civilians. So we remained a bit relaxed. Uh, the next morning, I went to ATB. It's not too far. I went to buy a few things, like a, a bread, you know, things that we could carry and then move with. And then I remember texting my friend, Mandisa, telling her that, okay, although you didn't leave, come and sit with us. So mm-hmm. what happens is we have three different metro lines um, based on different colors. Now, these metro lines have different metro stations. So we advise that, okay, if anything um, were to happen or the situation gets worse, Go to the metro stations because since they're underground, you'll be you'll be a bit protected. And so you have your dogs. Yeah. Yes. And Kateko, what's going on through your mind as you are having to number one prepare yourself uh, to effectively start running, but at the same time you're also staying put to to be able to read the situation and see you know what the next best plan is. In that moment, I think your mind and your body just goes into survival mode, you know. Mm. Like there's something, especially when you're in a group, you know, when you're in in a group, you're able to sit down and collectively make a proper uh, judgment or decision, especially in a situation like that. So I was like, guys, let's just remain put. Since, as I said, um, the tanks and the things are moving through, but nothing is happening. They're probably moving to keep to negotiate, you know. So let's just remain put for a while. As I said, we went to buy food. Let's just prepare and eat in case something does happen. And then as I, as I said, I told Mandisa, come over. As she lives in a different metro station, come over. Once we're a group and we're together, we can move. So others have received information that they are trained, uh, that are free trains that are moving from Harkov to Lviv. Now, Lviv is more towards the western side, which is much more safer. Mm-hmm. That's where you have the four different borders that we were able to move through. Poland, Romania, um, Hungary and Slovakia. At at which point do you then decide that it's now time to go? So we stayed. I went and picked Mandy out from the metro station, which was quite traumatic for her because mm. she had to see the tanks. You know, um, she had to take a taxi. You know, no cars were moving. Literally, no cars were moving. Um, no taxis were working, but she luckily got one. She got to the metro station. As she got to the metro station, that's where she heard the most vivid, vivid, vivid bombs. That's mm-hmm. where I went and I picked her up. And then we decided the next morning, guys, no. The people that have already left with the trains already, the, um, they are on the way to the V. Let's follow them. At least the coast is clear now. We know that there are people that are there. They've given us information that it's fine. Let's move. Seven in the morning, we woke up. We ordered two taxis, Bolt. We got to the Vagzal. And then they, were, they told us that the train would be leaving at 3 p.m. 3 p. No, 9 a.m. And then they changed it to 12 p.m. From 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eventually we got one, and getting into that was just a mission. You have people pushing each other, you know, there's screaming, mm. there's racism. There's, uh, um, there was one Middle Eastern man that was holding a knife trying to get his people in through. And then one of my friends got bitten as she was trying to move into the train since people didn't want her to get in. Mm. And then now, like, the journey from Harkov to Lviv is usually 14 hours. 
but it ended up taking us more than 24 hours. Because when we got to Kiev, which is the capital city, which is a major hotspot, the driver had to switch up the train, um, switch up all the lights, you know, tell us to keep quiet, you know, we had to stay put and silent. And it's hot, you know, it's COVID-19, um, high-risk, you know, environment, you know, you're sweating, you're stressed, you're angry, everybody's just in a, in a state of havoc. And then um, the baby started crying. There were three babies that were in the train. They started crying. Mm. I was having to tell, like, fan the babies, you know, put water on the babies' faces. They had to take knives and open up the windows a little bit so that we could at least agree. I remember having to remove the bags um, where they put the luggage um, in the luggage compartment and just taking my pillow and my blanket, and I just passed out from the heat. Mm. Like, I just slept, and then when I woke up, uh, the train was already moving. But as it's moving, through, we are seeing feelings outside the window, you know, smoke some areas are being bombed right in front of our eyes sure that is that is so intense Mandisa, let me come to you because I understand that um, you know the the line has been re-established with you and again many of our listeners would have heard your story last week do you think that you would have made it out of Ukraine without um, the support, without the community of people like Ngateko, people that you could move around with? Not at all. Mm-hmm. I always keep saying that, like, Ngateko was literally, like, especially when it's trying to, like, like when we're trying to enter the train, because, woo, men really didn't care, hey? Like, men would push you, some would strangle you. I even remember the second time we were trying to get onto the train. You know, like, there were men, like, holding me back. I remember Kateko had to sacrifice his water bottle to throw it at the person so it hits him, you know, and then he pulled me into the train. Mm. Yeah, man. So it, 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 it was a fight. Yeah. It, was, it was a physical fight mm-hmm. just to be able to get into those trains. Yes, very physical. Weapons have been used, knives, bottles, you know, people throwing, like, punching Ngateko, take us again through the journey. So once you get off the train, what happened? Okay, so now um, I'll just take us to the part where we arrived in Lviv because it's like the train again, as I described and as Maggie described. Um, When we arrived in Lviv, we were met by some um, volunteers that were giving out food. So we took some of the food, you know, they were very friendly, the water, and then we walked on a different train right now. Now, this train ride was four hours. It wasn't as cramped and um, as intense to get in. And then this one was taking us to Uzgorad. Now, Uzgorad is um, between the border of Ukraine and Ukraine. All right. As, as, I seem to be having a bit of an issue there um, with that line to Ngateko. I'm not sure what has happened. We'll try and re-establish a contact with him. But, you know, we're just hearing the story of, of South Africans who've come back uh, from Ukraine. As you can hear, they're sharing a part of the traumatic experience that they have been through and what it has taken uh, for them to be able to come out of that situation alive. And uh, we'll also be hearing from them in terms of now that they
there back home uh, you know what what happens now and how are they uh, what are their expectations in as far as some of their schooling is concerned because we know uh, the the two individuals that were speaking to were students in Ukraine so we'll continue the conversation with Nkateko and Mandisa shortly it's just gone 10:30 and Musa is standing by with a look at your latest headlines SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide leading the conversation we're in conversation with South Africans who recently landed from Ukraine. They, they were students in Ukraine. Mandisa's Tabile Malindisa, who we spoke to last week when she was still in Budapest in Hungary, and Ngadego Muimani, who is also a, a student that has come back into the country. So, Ngadego, you, you again were still taking us on the journey of how it is that you managed to cross the border. What did you find were some of the most difficult things about the experience? Yeah, yeah. I think the the, the most um, traumatic experience must have been at the border, actually. Mm. So the border between Hungary and um, Ukraine. So there's this area where, like, I don't think nobody owns it. It's called, like, no man's land. When we arrived to the Ukrainian border first, we were told that, guys, um, do you guys have passports? If you have passports, that's okay. If you don't, you need to make a plan. So now we move through, and then we move to the snowman area. When we get there, I think we stayed for like six hours in conditions of like minus three, mm-hmm. waiting for either a confirmation of are we going further on or are we moving back. Now the Ukrainian government is like, okay, we've already moved you through. We're not our issue or problem anymore. I remember having to go back and speak to the guard. I'm like, we've been waiting for so long. What's, what's happening? Are we like moving? Are we not moving? We don't have food. We don't have water. And I, I don't like to beg. So it kind of felt like, like, what's going on? You know, and then in front, you have the Hungarian border patrol slash passport control, etc. And they're just letting anyone of European descent or um, Ukrainians just move through without any question, you know, whether they have passports or, 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 or documents, etc. So in my mind, I'm thinking, this is a situation of war. Should we mm-hmm. be considering color in this situation, you know? And then one Nigerian girl started crying. Like, she just started crying and saying, like, what kind of wickedness is this, guys? Like, what's going on? And what happened was, because they knew that it was cold, they had a car parked, and they would move in and out of the car, like, be sitting in the car, enjoying the weather, I mean, the the, the heat and everything, the heater, and then they would move out and then just check if there anyone coming, etc. So after a while, they let us move through. But now when we get to the passport control, um, so they, there was a, like a line of Ukrainians and um, non-blacks in front of us. And then there was a box of juice and a box of refreshments. And as they were checking the passport, they were handing them out. Once Mandisa and I got to the front of the line, we just saw the box being removed and the refreshments being removed. I remember sure. looking at Mandy and asking her, like, asking her, Tanti, what's going on? Mm. You know? She's even like, bruh, I was thirsty. I was really thirsty. Mm. And then... After that, they, they like they searched our bags, you know, we had to open up our bags. And then we moved to an area um, inside, like it was packed as well, packed in camp. It was much, much better than waiting outside. At least they had a little bit of compassion there. And then they told us that they're ordering two big buses for us. Now these buses are going to take us to um, one city. It's like an hour away. And then from there, we're going to catch another train. <laughs> now, the, just hearing trains in my mind, just like, it's the trauma. It's going to be the same as, you know, the previous ride, but it wasn't as bad. 
it was a four-hour trip. We uh, landed in Budapest. And then once we landed in Budapest, we met this man called Peter. Now, Peter was the one that gave us um, accommodation. You mm-hmm. know, um, he showed us around the city. Um, we got to drink a bottle of wine that day just to unwind. He was so nice. We met him at the train station while I was asking about accommodation. So I, I was able to raise like $15, and then we we're going to split that and then accommodate, get accommodation for eight. So he's like, no, 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 no. Um, I can take four, and then maybe one of my friends can take another four, or you can book a hotel. And then we literally stayed with him for like a week. He was even begging us not to leave. Mm-hmm. He made us a big bowl of soup, you know, with a lot of nutrients. And he's like, guys, um, I've seen this before. Like, I work with um, these, um, what do they call them? Humanitarian, you know, if there's like wars and whatever. Mm-hmm. I work with these campaigns, and this is what we do. Like, I'm more than welcome to help you guys. So, so Ngateko, when you cross the border and you're talking about the story of, of refreshments, of course, you know, part of why it sticks out for you is that you had gone for so long without eating, without having anything to drink. Were you eventually offered something or was that simply not an option? Did they just continue serving um, the the white people that came after you? They, they didn't continue serving us. So what I was told by Mandy, because mm. she was there, she... Um, got into the big building after me. She said that right after we then went in, mm. she saw the refreshments box being put back. And after that, we didn't receive anything. The only thing sure. we received was in Hungary, as I said, once we met Peter mm. and then once we met the other humanitarians that were like trying to help us out. But besides that, nothing. They didn't care if you were thirsty, mm. whether you were um, parched, you know, you're hungry. They did not care. In Poland, I was told that two people died of hypothermia. And then there was one guy that got so thirsty. He was close to the front of the line. He got so thirsty that when he left to get water, when he came back, there were more than a thousand people in front of him. Sure. Mandy, so what was the most difficult thing about this journey for you? Oh, like just mentally, like, like seeing the visuals, like seeing things happen, you know, not getting help as well. You know, just being have to like depend on yourself, you know, prayers. Always updating family. That's that's just like mentally, it was very exhausting. Also physically, also physically exhausting for me, honestly. Mm, mm. Yeah. And what do you think are, are are some of the biggest lessons that that you've learned out of this? Oh, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is sometimes you gotta know how to do things on your own. Okay? Sometimes you can't depend on like the higher power. You just have to hope and. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And learn from others, basically. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. Like, we had to get advice from other countries, like, you know, our neighbors, like, the Medians, Zambians, because they had a plan made for them. So we had to kind of, like, follow them and, you know, see, that, okay, this is what your, you know, this is what your government, your embassy did. Okay, let's see what we can do, you know. Because we thought we could at least follow the um, the Medians. Because, like, for example, if they do get a flight to a bus, because we're neighboring countries, mm-hmm. we could at least maybe find our way home. But we were told, like, the Namibians, they are, like, their plan, the government told them to go to Romania. So we were like, oh, no, we're not going to Romania because they were told that they only allow women and children. So I know if I get to the border, I was going to go in, but in Gateco, I was going to be left behind. And no man can be left behind. So that's why we went to Hungary. You know, I, I also want to hear from you about what you were seeing and what 
the Ukrainians that were caught up in this conflict uh, were saying to you about the situation that they found themselves in. We'll continue with Mandisa and Ngateko after this. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We're hearing from South African students Mandisa and Ngadeko who've recently come back into the country from Ukraine. Uh, of course, it has been a traumatic ordeal for them and others who had to flee the conflict there. And Ngadeko, earlier when you were telling us about just, you know, needing to to start packing and, and deciding what, what to pack, often it's spoken about in, figure, in figurative terms. So... Uh, you know, people will say, oh, my gosh, if the world was coming to an end and you had to run, what would you do? You know, what would you pack? Now that you've had the opportunity of being in that moment, were any of the things that perhaps previously you would have thought about? What is the clarity that that moment of, of uncertainty brings you or what did it, what did it bring you? Yeah. Um, this one was very personal to me mm. because I believe in God. Mm. So, like, you know, when it says that store up your treasures in heaven, you when know, locusts and, you know, thieves cannot steal them, mm. that that scripture really, 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 like, dawned on me and hit me hard because that's when I realized, that, you know, that human life and, um, you know, your experiences and the people that you meet are what actually makes you a better person. If I had to go through that experience again because of the people that I met, I think I would have. And, like, because of the love and kindness that I was shown, Mm-hmm. I would have, honestly, uh, I would have. We met this man called Godfrey, not like man, but like this guy called Godfrey on the train. So, like getting into the train, you know, already it's packed, you know, people are looking for seats. Um, he, he was traveling alone just with his PlayStation. The minute he saw me and he saw like the struggle, he was like, ah, oh, bro, no, come and chill next to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And we just kicked it off. From then, we were like brothers in arms. I remember it was me, um, Godfrey, and Mandy who ended up sleeping at Peter's. And then I remember leaving my bass guitar behind, you know, I love music. All my jackets were left behind, you know, I invested in my jackets. It's winter and it's cold in Ukraine. Uh, my trousers, you know, I left my laptops, my books, you know. Everything. Yeah. I think it's, it's personal and then you do realize that material possessions aren't really that mm. Mandisa, I'm going to stay with the same question for you. Um, I remember with me, at first, because I was in denial, because I, I had all my suitcases packed to leave, you see. So I remember, like, my brother, like, he video called me, and he's like, you need to snap out of it, and you need to, like, like pack your, like pack a small bag, mm. make sure it's light, so that you're able to run. So I was like, okay, okay, okay. What, like, what do I pack, bro? What do I pack? I remember he's like, take your laptop, and then he's like, take a pair of shoes, just in case the ones that you are using break or something, you know, you need to have another pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. So I just remembered I packed like two t-shirts, um, a pair of pants, like one jean, um, the shoes, and then a blanket. I packed a water bottle, which got stolen on the train. But yeah, that was about it. And then just something to eat, like... Like, I remember I had, like, a yogurt, um, some bread. Yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah, sure. Let me go to Germiston. Elizabeth, good morning to you. You, Katie, and our listeners? Hello. You, hello, how are you, ma'am? I'm well, thank you. 
uncle, you know, my heart is so broken with what this kids went through in Ukraine. In the name of wanting to study, you know, when you pursue life the right way, you want to do things right, mm. and then you find yourself having to face this life is not fair, Katie. Mm. I'm telling you, my heart is so broken. Even at first, when I heard about Mandis, my heart is so broken. I said, God, please bring these children back home safe. Imagine if it was my own daughter. Katie, I have a 27-year-old daughter. Oh, I love my daughter. Seriously, I love her deeply. So I just imagine if it was my own child to Facing this, my heart is so broken, guys. We have to pray. God help us. You know, South Africa, if things were done right, there was no corruption. These children were not supposed to be there. I'm not saying the people that are facing the circumstances deserve it, mm-hmm. but these children were just there in the persuasion of, of education and to better their lives. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I pray to God, and I know they've lost. I don't know what's going to happen to them, but I, I hope that the, our government just consider these children, they go to Medunza and finish whatever they need to do and all the other people that are still trapped in that place. We pray that let there be peace. I don't know. May God give peace and put in heart to, I don't know, to just let, let stop this nonsense because it's not affecting only the Ukrainians and Russians. All of us are being affected by this. Mm, Thank mm. you. Oh, Thank it, you, Katie. I'm, I'm so happy that they are back and I just hope all the other people, even from the other nations, they are safe there because really this is, this is really affecting us, guys. It's really not fair. Yeah. Oh, Elizabeth, thanks for calling in. And, and yeah, one understands one understands your your emotions, and it it, it is absolutely heart wrenching uh, to again hear the stories, hear the experiences, and and and, and from you, uh, Ngatego, the people at home obviously they they must have been incredibly panicked and and worried about your safety, your well being. Definitely, definitely. I think that's what hurt me the most. Mm. And the fact that my parents and my, my grandparents and my brothers are kind of hopeless because I know that if they had the opportunity and the means to come and fight and to come and take me the road, but in that situation, all you can do is just hope and pray. It was the hopes and prayers that like, just kept us going. I wonder, I'm like, I had to do this so I can see my grandmother again. She's already been through a lot. I was even saying when, when I met her that, look, Gogo, you need to just write a book. Because mm-hmm. you've seen history, like, we've just seen so much history. In the past few years, a lot has just happened. We just need to thank God for, you know, what we have. It was actually, honestly, by His grace that we were able to make it out. I didn't do anything to deserve to be in that position or to deserve to be saved, but it was honestly just by His grace. And and I think, you know, it's it, it's part of a view that, that has been expressed that, the students that that were there have families and that those families then would have been able to do whatever it is that they could to help them out and and send for money and so you guys should should have been okay um take us a little bit in into that you know as a student how were your fees being funded what was your financial situation when this conflict uh, arose, and and you mentioned earlier that that you'd managed to raise fifteen dollars, um, just just to be able to maybe book you guys a, a place to to sleep. Tell me more about that. So prior to, as I said, like we were, we were hearing news about like the war potentially brewing. Mm-hmm. I remember I called my parents and like, hey, Mama, Papa, like the Americans are sending their money, you know, to go home. Although our government hasn't said anything. Like, let's at least make a plan now, mm-hmm. you know? 
And they were like, ah, we just sent you money for school fees, you know. Did you pay the school fees? I'm like, okay, I took a portion of the money that I had. I paid school fees. I remember they sent me like 16000 And now, like, the price tickets had increased. Usually a flight is like $700, which is around 8000 9000 but not had doubled. I think they even got a bit into overdraft to get that money. So I'm like, okay, with this money that I have, how do I prioritize? Do I buy a plane ticket? Do I pay for school fees? You know, what do I do? Mm. So what I did was I took a portion of it, I paid my fees, and then a little bit was remaining. But this money wasn't enough. And now, once the attack hit, because it hit so unexpectedly, as I said, Mandy had already booked her ticket. She was about to leave. But then the airspace is closed. Obviously, you can't fly now because the airspace is closed. And then um, the banks are not working now, so you can't withdraw money. If you have cash, um, I think you can only withdraw like 200, 200 grand now, which is like 100 grand. So now maybe if money is there, you can't access it. So that's what we mean, like uh, sometimes when you say we were stranded in terms of not having money. And then like um, some taxi drivers, Ukrainians, were taking advantage of the situation because they knew that a lot of people were fleeing and then, um, the ones that had buses, Instead of charging like 800 grievance, which is a normal price, they were now charging $100, $200 per person. Mm. You know, we don't have access to that cash, hard cash at that moment. And and, and so then the process of, of asking around for money, what were you saying to people? So um, then we're just like, guys, we're in groups. Like, whatever money you have, split it. As I said, like with the taxi to go to Uzgorad, I remember mm. we split it, it was like 800 grivna. We each paid a certain amount. And then uh, I like pay um, or um, what is it, money gram. We were able to money gram each other money and then mm. transfer it and like, okay, no, when you get to maybe like a safer country, I'll pay you back. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Very, very 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 difficult position to have been in i want to play a couple of voice notes and then uh, i'll also then hear a little bit more from mandisa morning kathy you know the day we accept um, as africans that other other people like white people most of them they don't like us and that is what we need to accept come back home uh, remove these evil leaders of ours and build this continent, build this, our countries uh, to become powerhouses that they are. You know, it is painful to see Africans dying in the, in the ocean, trying to go to Europe, trying to go to the West. Whereas Africa is the most wealthy, wealthy continent in the world. We need to come back and build Africa. Mandisa, what do you say? And I'm sure you've heard that a lot, right, since your ordeal and, and coming back into South Africa about, you know, why were you there studying in the first place? Uh, as Bega saying, people should not be leaving. Let's stay home and let's build the continent. Um, in terms of, like, why we decided to, uh, like, study in Europe, it's because, um, like, I've tried to study medicine here in South Africa. Like, I applied in all, like, universities to try to study medicine. Like, I did study at Medunca, but it wasn't medicine. I've done um, BSc. You know, like, you try here, you try left, right. And the problem is spacing. You know, like, universities can only take a certain amount of people. Mm. Maybe, like, for medicine, they can only take 200 students, you know. 
and you find that people apply from everywhere, maybe to go study at work. People are, you know, from the whole country. But when you go to, like, Europe, you might find, like, in one city, there are three medical universities. Hmm. Like, a university just, that is just for medicine and dentistry. There's a whole big university that, like, just for engineering. You know, in the city, there's probably, like, two or three. Like, in my city, we had two universities for, like, medical universities. You go to another city, there's probably, like, three or four. And they take a huge amount of people. Like, in our, like, year, like, we probably, like, 800 that they took, you know, of foreign internationals. As compared to, like, for example, in South Africa, they can only take maybe 200. So, the, so, so these the fees are also yeah. the same. Yeah. The fees are, like, for in Ukraine, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. The fees are, like, the same as South Africa. So you're getting the same, I guess, treatment. Mm. So, so effectively, what you're saying is that there's greater capacity um, at mm-hmm. institutions of higher learning in in Europe, yes. at least where you were, than we have, let's say, in, in South Africa. Yes, definitely. Like, they can occupy a huge amount of, like, people. Mm-hmm. Gateko, what did you do when, when you landed back home? What was the first thing you did? Excuse me, sorry. Uh, I was I asking you what what was what what is the first thing you did when you got back home? Um, the first thing I did when I got home, I went to see my brother. Mm. Um, he picked me up from the airport, and then we came home. And then the next day, we went to see my my grandmother. I remember, sorry. When I when I saw her, I just I, I couldn't hold the tears back mm. because I just think her prayers and what she's been through. As I said, like the past few years, she's really been through a lot. And um, I just couldn't, like, it was just the thought of seeing her and then my presence being manifested to her. I thought, like, then she realized that, no, God is good, you know, prayers really work. Yeah. And my I still haven't seen yeah. her in Limpopo. So my parents stayed in Limpopo. Mm. I haven't seen them yet. But, like, I hope that when I do see them, it'll be good. I mean, we also set up an NGO, so it's mm. a non-government organization, and, and we've been speaking to um, people that are still stuck in, I know of two students that are stuck in Sunni, and then one that's in um, Hungary. He doesn't have uh, money for PCR. So you need a PCR test, of course, in order to fly back. So we've just been like on the ground, you know, doing interviews, trying to get awareness, setting up NGOs, say Corridor, it's on Twitter, like um, um, getting funds and sponsors. We have a few from the Netherlands. Um, we got $200 to pay for four PCR tests students that need them yeah so so as it stands um th- there's still people that are stuck in in ukraine that you've managed to to make contact with yes we know of two but we're not, not we don't know specifically where mm. but some people have been telling us that there are two students still stuck we're, we're speaking to the gift of givers as well like in order to like since they're there on the ground mm. to kind of like if there are any uh, people that are still there you know how can we assist them through our ngo and Mandisa, you know, I imagine that even this idea of coming together through uh, this NGO came out of the fact that you felt you simply did not get e- enough help when when you were in that in that situation. Um, yeah, um, like not getting help was difficult, but like you know, just managing to come back, like Ngatego and I, like you know, because we've just been together the whole time. We thought, okay, you know what. Because we understand that, like, you know, there was not help. Um, we need to find a way to help the ones that are still stuck up there, you know. We need to find a way forward. 
Mm. Because I remember after my first interview with you, like people reached out to me, like people from Netherlands, like a guy called me, he's like, hi, I have a lot of like medical professionals in Hungary that, you know, if you need help, you know. So I was like, oh, this is great. Because I found out like some South Africans that were still stuck up there, some of them were injured, one was sick, another one had a back injury. So I was like, oh, no, you know, okay, there's someone who can help you guys, you know, because things are, things are expensive. Mm. Mm-hmm. What what were the Ukrainians saying about this conflict in Kateko? The Ukrainians that I was with were like willing to help us. They were also quite scared since they didn't know like the conflict. They were like, we're all in this together. Mm. But this soon I'm seeing. But the ones that were close to the border, uh, I have a friend, Gloria, she's from Benin. So she traveled alone because there aren't many people from Benin. And then she said that when she go to the border, you the white people, especially the white women, the white men are more relaxed because I think they understand the situation. But the white women were like, um, what are you doing? Go to the back of the line. Let us in first, you know, like, um, pissing on her. You know how, like, you um, provoke someone and you aggravate mm-hmm. them. And then she's like, okay. She put her bags down and she's like, touch me again. Just try and touch me again and we'll see what will happen. But no glorious character. Like, she will wait for something to happen and then she will react to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the men are just like, no, when I just remain calm, you know, we're all in this together, this is a situation. But I think it's just the one or two few people, you know, who feel entitled to, you know, because we are of a certain um, descent or of a certain race, we deserve to be treated better. But others could understand that, okay, you know, this is what happened, you know, we're in it together, let's just move, let's just move. Oh, well, you know, I'm so grateful that you guys have been able to come back home safely, especially after Mandisa gave us her story last week. And I really commend you for the work that you are doing to try and assist the other South Africans who, as you've been telling us, remain, some of them, trapped in Ukraine and seeing how best you can connect them with the relevant officials, but also fundraise for those who are perhaps in in Hungary and Poland and uh, are looking for a means of being able to be brought back home. And thank you for coming onto the show and for sharing your stories as well. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Nkatekumuimani and Mandisa, Stabile Malindisa. So you heard then the stories, you heard what it is that they have been through. It is, it's so much that I don't even think they've, they're at a point where they can begin to comprehend what next in as far as the education is concerned. So I still have a few more voice notes that have come through on this very issue. Uh, We'll take them and then we're edging towards 11 o'clock and Musa will bring you the latest news. Good morning, Keith. Uh, I don't condone what happened to the student, but uh, we uh, uh, African, we must start uh, our own things here. Because you can tell, see that uh, these white people have been begging them for uh, <laughs> a long time now. So let's just start uh, uh, things for our own and then let's make sure that we love each other as African and then we'll start uh, our own things. Please, guys, let's start our own things. African, let's wake up and start our own things. Thanks very much.